0: You are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. Uh. <laughs> oh, geez. Uh. Thank you, Brent. <laughs> Awesome. All right. How's everyone doing today? Good. Good. Awesome. How many of you were here uh, last week? Out of curiosity. Awesome. Cool. Well, this is a a part two message. Um, if you guys got a chance to listen to the uh, podcast uh, uh, episode one was called uh, Kingdom Politics Part One, and that would make this uh, Kingdom Politics Part Two. Now I know that politics is everyone's favorite topic. Um, some of you it is in this room actually, but. Uh, I wanted to kind of frame up a little bit, kind of refresh what we talked about last week and then kind of where we're we're going into this week. Does that sound good to you guys? Awesome. So last week we talked about my my heart for this is not necessarily, uh, you know, the the word politics means different things to different people. Um, I'm in many ways trying to talk about the broad topic of politics, which is the way that we govern ourselves, how power, authority is delineated in our environment, and I'm not just talking about current events or what was on the news last week or whatever political argument is hot at this particular moment, but rather trying to look at the Word of God, to look at the Bible, to understand how God wants us to engage with this world that we live in. The Bible has a lot to say about, about politics, far more than I could fit into even two, three, four, or four sermons, and so I, I do encourage all of you to seek it out there. But one of the themes that we landed on was one that uh, in some ways starts in the book of Jeremiah, where Jeremiah prophesied that Israel was going to be going into exile, into Babylon. Um, and this was because of the, the idolatry, the injustice, and, and, and a few other things that were going on in there at, at the time. Now, uh, as we talked about, we talked about uh, Jeremiah 29, where... Uh, Jeremiah, in in this particular time, as this uh, impending uh, exile was happening, as Babylon was kind of gathering and building up, there was different factions that had different opinions about how to respond to this season of exile. There were factions of people who wanted to revolt, Israelites who wanted to pick up their swords, revolt, and fight against Babylon. And there were factions of people that wanted to adapt, that wanted to try to fit in with Babylon, that wanted to kind of adopt some of their customs and just fold, fold right in to the fold there. Um, and that seems like that might be the two options that you have in that circumstance. But Jeremiah actually proposes a third way and kind of calls out the other prophets that are suggesting you go either of the other ways, which is, again, pretty, pretty rock star of him. Um, he ended up jail and in, locked in a pot later. Well, that's a different story. Um, a cistern, rather. But um, the um, he said, instead, uh, build houses, settle down, raise a family, plant a garden, eat your own food, and pray for the good of the city that you're in. Pray for the good. Actually, bless Babylon. Bless its king. Bless this environment. And that is a principle that continues throughout Scripture because... It, 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 we'll actually go to the, one of these scriptures later. In, in later scriptures, um, especially Peter, will call the people of God, the people who are following Jesus, exiles. And this is a, a, a picture, a shadow. The the, the exile of Israel in Babylon became a, a thematic tool that's used all throughout the rest of Scripture to describe the the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world. Does that make sense to you guys? And and so we we live in the world right now. Did you know that? This is the world. <laughs> and we work in the world. We have friends in the world. But we are not of the world. We are distinct. The the challenge that Jeremiah offers people in this time of exile is hey, build a family, build a house, uh, the, the idea of growing your own food and eating it was, was to do with the Hebraic laws around eating. The, these were laws that were intended to make them a distinct people, different than the other people around It was a symbol of their covenant with God. And so to eat your own food, to, to remain there, was to remain distinctive. And then we talked about how this was uh, presented almost no better by anyone than Daniel in the book of Daniel, who was brought into exile, who was brought into the service of a wicked king, and who served that king, cared for that king, actually in, in some ways it seems uh, loved and brought kindness to that king. Even when he brought words of judgment, he did so regrettably, wishing, even saying, I wish this word was for your enemies. And that king was brought to righteousness, and he, Daniel, was had the opportunity to serve king after king after king. Some of us might look at that picture of... of what do you mean? We're just supposed to sit around, have a family, and just you know, remain distinctive ourselves? Well, what, what should I do about this? What should I do about that? And I said, there are two things that I see in scripture as modes of action towards influencing the world, but how we do it is just as important as whether we do it or not. The first one that we talked about, if you guys remember, was a, a term that we call prophetic critique. That you can speak the truth, you can say what God is saying, but also the way you do it and the heart behind it is so important, and we kind of juxtapose the difference between Daniel and Jonah, yeah? Jonah, who brought the word of God to the Assyrians in Nineveh, but did so wanting destruction, wanting there to be harm, want, and, and angry to have to give the word because he knew that God was merciful and knew this word would bring protection and wholeness to that country that he despised. Does that make sense? And of course, God has this beautiful argument with him trying to say, hey, there's people in there who don't know their right hand from their left. You care more about, and he had, of course, had the whole story where the plant grows up next to him and is blocking the sun and he loves that plant so much and the plant dies You know, and he's like, ah, it's better that I should die. He says that a lot in in the book of Jonah. Anyway, um, (laughs) he's like, you care about this plant more than you care about the people and the animals that are in that city. You have heard the word of God and not let it transform your heart to think the way that he does. Whereas, is again directly juxtaposed with Daniel, who's one of the few figures in scripture for whom there's almost nothing bad said about once a person who is able to serve and love wicked king after wicked king after wicked king, bringing the kingdom of God at the very center of wicked power. Does that make sense? And so we have the tool of prophetic critique to speak the truth. However, it is so important that we have a transformed heart and a transformed mind when releasing this truth. We also talked about how if we experience some forms of rejection, We might want to check to see if we are in alignment with the heart of God when we are releasing truth. Does that make sense? Okay. Everyone good so far? Awesome. You you nervous? Some of you are not answering. That's probably the wisest choice. (laughs) All right. If you would, um, just uh, take in a deep breath real quick. And slowly let that out. A wonderful... um, Biblical professor that I sat under when I was in college, he taught a Bible as literature class. It's one of my favorite classes. He said, if you approach scripture and you let the arguments of your day determine the categorization of what's good and what's not good and how you can align that, you, you are setting yourself up to misinterpret what God has to say about what's good and what's not. If we allow the belief systems, the mindsets, and the structures of our modern day to determine the categorization of good things, we will inevitably leave the pieces of the kingdom of God on one side or the other and let in things that are not of the kingdom of God on one side or the other. Does that make sense? Okay. We're doing good still? So we have this tool of prophetic critique where we can bring challenge, where we can uh, say things that are that are difficult I, I want to uh, address the, one, the second thing that I think that we can do, and if you would i 'd have you turn to first Peter in your in your Bible <laughs> or click to first Peter if that's more your jam <laughs> or do a quick Google search because your Bible app is not updated. We're going to do 1 Peter chapter 2. And as we uh, get up to here, so this, um, Daniel had kind of hoped, you know, that, that basically the, the message, the prophetic message was, hey, you know, build houses, have a family, eat your food, remain distinctive, remain who you are, and God is going to deliver you after a certain amount of time, in this case, 70 years. Um, Daniel saw many visions about this, and he had hoped that maybe this was gonna happen in his lifetime, that God was going to send a conquering king to rescue his people out of this exile, out of this oppression. But uh, unfortunately, he saw a vision where another empire came, and another, and another. And uh, this was a pattern that was going to be continuing into the future of patterns, of structures of the world taking over again, and again, and again. Well, we flash forward to Jesus to the time of Jesus when there is yet another empire who is overpowering this area uh, the, the area of Israel overpowering the people of Israel people who are talking during this time about well God's going to send his messiah to come and conquer these romans and set things right and punish who, what needs to be punished and bless who needs to be blessed um and Jesus came the messiah came but he came differently than some people were expecting These same arguments were happening in Jesus' day. It's one of the reasons that the Pharisees challenged him by saying, hey, should we pay taxes to Caesar? This was a direct challenge to try to breed conflict, to breathe into that that thing. And Jesus says something that was challenging to people who wanted to rise up and fight against the Romans. He said, give to Caesar what's Caesar's. Pay your taxes. But he also challenges them to say, hey, but, but give to God what is God's. Caesar isn't your God. He's just who's in charge right now. Does that, does that make sense? So this message is continued in the life of Jesus, is continued by the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans when yet another group of Christians at this point are wanting to revolt against the Roman Empire. In the book of Romans, again, he says, no, don't do that. Stay fast. Let Jesus lead. And Let's flash forward again to 1 Peter um, chapter 2. Um, let's go to verse 11. So chapter 2, verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. So again, he's using this metaphor of of exiles, that you are in the world but not of the world. When you were born again, your, your citizenship was marked in heaven. That is now where you belong. That is now where you are from. And we have to be connected with the reality that we are foreigners on the earth. We are foreigners in the world. And if we don't connect with that idea, when we run into friction, when we run into a a rub with the world, we can can just get angry at the person instead of recognizing, oh, no, I'm not from here. I don't fit into the same value systems. I don't do things for the same reason. I, I, I am coming from a different place with different values, and it's important that we think that because we will tend to go towards one of these two sides of wanting to fight back, of, ah, you're, you're, being a, you know, you're, you're resisting me, you're saying this against, or wanting to submit, wanting to adapt to the environment just to fit in, just to, just to get along and lose our distinctiveness, our, the, the ways that we are meant to be different than the people around us. And so th- this message is continued throughout here, and again, Peter's using this, uses it at the beginning of the book as well. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Uh, some interpretations say, honor the pagans or honor the Gentiles so well that they will see your good deeds and glorify God. Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. This is important, but we'll, we'll come back around to that. Um, Verse 16, "Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show your proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor." That's what it says, it says the same thing a few other places as well, but So again, this is a man who has walked with Jesus who has seen this distinctiveness, who, who occasionally maybe cut a person's ear off when he thought he had to get violent to protect somebody, you know. Um, it's, it's we, are, we are in the world. We are not of the world. We are exiles and foreigners. There is a, a, an acceptance of the tragedy of our situation. In our circle, we sometimes call it the kingdom is, for, is now but not yet. The kingdom is here and the kingdom is still coming. You know, we are in this place where Jesus has completed everything on the cross, yet his kingdom is still unfolding and is still revealing itself, and of course he is coming back. And so, in this place, we are foreigners and exiles, and we are exhorted time and time again to do good. This is derived, the language here is almost exactly the same as what Jesus said in Matthew when he called his disciples the the light of the world, the salt of the earth. He said, do not hide your light under, the, under a bushel, but let it shine so that people will see your good deeds. See your good deeds. We are called to prophetic critique. All throughout scripture, God sends prophetic voices to critique. Jesus critiqued the religious authorities. Jesus critiqued all kinds of authorities. They nailed him to a cross for it. It's, it is part of what we are called to do. We are meant to do it out of love, out of God's heart, remembering that there are people on the other side of this conflict, remembering that our battle is not with powers and principalities, uh, excuse me, it is with powers and principalities, not with flesh and blood, that we are not coming against people, that we are actually sent to love and save people. And so we are called to prophetic critique, but we are also called to do good. So what's good? I'm not going to give you a direct answer because that's probably you know something we talk about f- for a long time. Uh, in studying for this for the past year, I've read a lot of uh, Christian philosophers, C.S. Lewis, things like that. And these guys can take one word and just talk about it all day. Let me tell you. Um, but anyway, I-, I would like to challenge you with something here in our mindset around good. Um, so this story of Babylon, of Babel, it, there's a, a connection and a typology between this narrative where first you have the Garden of Eden where there is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the, tempta- the, the sin there was not just God said don't do this and they did this anyway. It was deciding I would like to define good and evil myself. I want the knowledge of God, good and evil. I want to decide what's right and what's wrong. That was the the essence of the original sin there. We move forward to the Tower of Babel. Mankind is coming together, is unifying, is building this tower up to heaven. And God says, wow, if they unify together, they can do anything. And then says, no, I'm going to create division so that they do not do it under their own power. That they do not create a pathway towards goodness themselves. But they can only do that through me. The story in Daniel of Babylon, and not just the singular empire of Babylon, but the empires that came after and after and after that is one of mankind trying to conquer, trying to take over, trying to bring order. If you study the history of these empires, these great kings, Alexander the Great, uh, Napoleon, there's a movie about that now. All these people are trying to bring order, to use their wisdom to create order. That is what the essence of empire is all the way back to the beginning. Oh, this isn't getting too heady. We're just going to get here for a second. But um, it is the construct of man by their own wisdom trying to define what's good and evil. That is what Babylon is, and that's what we are exiled into. That is what we as foreigners who have instead said, God, I want you to define what's good and evil. That is the key distinctive. And Babylon is anything that demands your allegiance to its idol- idolatrous image of what good and evil is. Checking with that? Um... You we, we know that we live in an upside-down kingdom, yeah? How do you receive? Oh, you give. How do you become the greatest? You serve. How do you affect political change? You submit and do good and release prophetic critique. That's challenging. But it is what I see repeated in Scripture over and over and over again. Now, very key to this, we we talked about this a lot more last week, is that doesn't mean you ally with, that doesn't mean that you just become like everybody else. Like Daniel, you remain distinctive, even if it costs you something, even if it means you end up in a lion's den, even though if it means your buddies end up in the fiery furnace. Complete side note, I couldn't find an answer to this. I wonder where Daniel was that day, you know? I'm like... (laughs) He's prophetic. He's like, oh, this is a good time to be out of town. You know? <laughs> Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are like, thanks, Daniel. <laughs> uh, great. It's one of the first questions I'll ask when I get to heaven. Like, Daniel, come on. Where-- you bailed on your buddies there. You know, I don't think he would bow to the thing. So uh, anyway, side note. But um, uh, You remain distinctive. You remain unique. You remain of, of God. Uh, Dan, again, we went into this in detail last time. Daniel Took on a babylonian name he wore babylonian clothes he did not eat babylonian food he did not fall down and worship this idol he continued to say what god was saying even when it cost him something and so you remain distinct but it is not by your power and wisdom that change is exacted it is by his power and wisdom that change is exacted does that make sense it's a challenge and it's something that we need to work on together and we'll, we'll get to that uh, in, in a second but um <clears throat> so with 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 all that said we have this hopefully a little bit clearer picture of what babylon is it is it is this thing that has been following mankind since the very beginning. It is the thing that the Israelites struggled with in the time of the prophets, the time of the judges, the time of the kings, remaining distinctive, not compromising, not letting the, the, the idols in, still living up to the principles of, of the kingdom. And it's the same struggle that we have to this day. It's the majority of what the arguments are in the epistles as Paul is writing to these different churches trying to negotiate how to remain distinctive, what's wrong, what's right, what's the best way to do this, and, and it's still conversations we have to this day. But I want to lean on this thing of, of what is good. Is Again, we need to let God define what good is. Now, that's tricky because I'm a human being, so in, that, in any conversation with him, I'm involved, right? And I am, will always be tempted to have my own definition of what's good and what's evil, And so it requires tremendous humility, tremendous humility, uh, working out your salvation, not conforming to the pattern of this world, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind. It is not something that I think that we ever arrive at, but it is something we walk with, wrestle with, and on a good day or in a good generation, we pass something better on to our kids than we had before. I think it is a slow work that lasts over a long amount of time, and I think we make mistakes. I think sometimes we weave Babylon in with some of our belief systems and some of our value systems. We, def- we worry in, and we need to, <coughs> excuse me, um, need to. Um, <laughs> we, we need to have the wiggle room, not with what God is saying, but with our ability to understand it, interpret it, and apply it, which is one you see, again, all throughout Scripture is people wrestling with this. In fact, the name that God gave His chosen people, Israel, means to wrestle with God. And so, this is this is part of what we do. You know, um, He usually wins. I find, um, which is good. <laughs> it's, it's a good thing. If you're always, if you're wrestling with Him, He'll always win, which is good. <laughs> um, so, what is what is good? The one challenge, we don't have time to really dive into to, to what's good much deeper than that, but I do want to offer this one challenge. Um, as gently as I can. Um, there was a time that a group of Christians decided good was going and murdering Muslims to take back the Holy Land. You can judge based on the history, based on looking back, whether that was actually good or not. There was a time that a certain group of Christians thought good was torturing people so that they would give their life to Christ. I judge that as not good. I will, with a sense of separation, judge their intention as good, as trying to resolve people to, to, with Christ. But I see them having wrapped some Babylon in to that process, some oppression, some wickedness some demand of power into that process. Does that make sense? Now, those for us are probably a little bit easier things to negotiate, you know, to, to look at and divide those lines. But at the time, these were conversations. These were ways of understanding modes of thinking. You guys read your Christian history ever? Anyway, I recommend some books afterwards if you like. But um, uh, <clears throat> I think it's... Uh, fair for all of us to say that there have been things done in the name of God that were not particularly godly. Uh, let's take it down to a much smaller scale for a second. You can probably remember a, a a pastoral or authoritative figure in your life who presented something as godly to you that you now have d- discerned and judged to not be godly. Yeah? You can probably remember something. Maybe it was a subtle thing. Maybe it was a really, really big thing. Um, <clears throat> and so... We need to wreck one, one challenge. The only challenge around this idea of goodness that I want to put towards you guys is <clears throat> remember, you are made in the image of God. And so, yes, you know, some call it a sin nature. Yes, we, we, we struggle with the flesh. But remember, you are made after the image of God. You have discernment about what is good. And if something, even though it's, if it's pointed at a good reason, if it looks like it's doing for some, has a good aim, if something about your heart judges it as not good, as not right, something just doesn't feel right here, listen to your heart. Listen to your heart. Because there is, as we know, we, we have to have the humility of recognizing that much evil has been done in the name of God mistakenly over the course of our history. Does that make sense? Good produces good. Good elicits a good response. Yes, sometimes people reject Christ in you. Yes, that does happen sometime. But <clears throat> the effect of good is that it actually should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Not perpetuate it on Facebook. <laughs> now, no, we're not, Again, we're not looking to how bad are the comments to judge whether we're right or wrong. That's not what I'm saying. But... What our validation? We should be doing good at such a level that people c- cannot deny that we are releasing goodness into the world. Even if they don't understand it, even if they don't recognize it, it is the same thing that happened with Jesus. When a centurion, a member of this pagan empire, that was, that had uh, brought. Um, subjugation over israel could recognize the authority and goodness on jesus life could even discern an aspect of the kingdom No, you don't even have to be there just say the word and that and that miracle will happen that his worldly knowledge was actually able even still because he's made in the image of god to discern something as true and good even if he didn't understand all the theology behind it does that make sense that is what good does that is what good produces Good invites people in. Good challenges, but good loves so well that the challenge feels like love, too. Does that make sense? Some of this, too, is don't despise the small things. Just do good things. This is stuff that we all learn of. Pick up a piece of trash if you see it. Pay people well if you're an employer. Serve your employ- your employer like, they're the, like, they, like it's God, like it's, like it's God that you're serving. Do kind things, produce good ideas. Think of the good of all when you create things, create ideas, when you, when you do businesses. Do good things. Do things that look like the kingdom in every single strata of life. I could preach uh, several messages on that, so can Dan, but we'll, we'll get to that later. But do good things. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You doing good things combats the darkness, releases the kingdom of God in the earth, and raises your authority so that even the world will recognize you as carrying something that's good, even if they don't understand it. Does that make sense? So to review so far, you are exiles. You are living in a world that you are not from. It is different than you. You will have friction with it. But live, build a house, have a family, eat your own food, remain distinctive, And pray for the good of your city. Pray for the good of your environment. Have prophetic critique. Say the truth, even when it's a challenge. But recognize that you must do it with God's heart, or it will ultimately harm you, as it did Jonah. His story ends with him angry outside the city. We don't know what happens next. Whereas if you are transformed by the words that you have to give, you will be like Daniel who gets to serve king after king after king, who finds favor, who does face adversity, who does face face challenge, but brings hope to his people and brings the kingdom of God at the very center of a dark empire. That's what you will get to do if you can be transformed and release prophetic critique that way. And also, do good. Do things that are good good things should look good to people who don't even understand that it's for Jesus. If it doesn't look good to people who don't understand that Jesus is behind it, it doesn't mean you dismiss it, but you do want to look at it and you do want to humbly approach the Lord and say am I missing something here? Because the people should see that this is good. People saw that Jesus was good and yes, people still you know, came against him. Mostly the religious folks. The tax collectors and sinners liked him a lot. Um, but um, but, reckon, again, I'm not, my measuring stick is not people's response, but it is a helpful key to say to, to humbly come before the Lord and say, Lord, am I missing something here? Am I missing something here? Did I get some Babylon in, mixed in? Did I get my own definition of what's good and evil or how it should look mixed in here? Again, just to reiterate that one more time, the deci- a couple disciples come to Jesus and say, Hey, these people are jerks. Uh, should we set, call fire down on them? I was thinking. And Jesus said, "You don't know what spirit you're of. You don't get it. You miss. You miss the point. You are. You are. You. You got some Babylon in there. <laughs> you know. Does that make sense? Can just point out these are these are themes all throughout. Last thing I want to point out here is all of this fits into something that's that's um, bigger than we have time to talk about. This is something that's necessarily a, a long-term conversation, but." Um, Your authority does not come from the fact that you know the truth. Your authority comes because you have a covenant with the person of truth. Your authority does not come because you know the truth. Your authority comes because you have a covenant with the person of truth. Um, We are in an era of the earth that is rigorously independent. Uh, we, we value our freedom doing what we want, thinking what we want, and thinking what we want while we do what we want. Um, there are very good things about that. There are very good things about it. There are kingdom things about that. But there are also things that get left behind when a cult, when a, in different eras of society, when we used to be more communally based. When you went to the same church that your mother did and father did, and your kids went to that church. Why? Because it's part of your family. Because that was the cultural pressure, the cultural structure that you lived in. You were a coal miner because your dad was a coal miner because his dad was a coal miner. There was a structural, cultural pressure that pushed you toward a certain thing. There's good things about that, and there's bad things about that. Right now, I'm sorry my voice is about to melt by the end of this. It'll survive another ten minutes. Um I can just talk up here. See. Um (laughs) um, um, we are in a hyper-independent season right now. If you don't like what I'm saying right now, you can find another church in five minutes. You can be finding another church in the middle of this conversation that's saying what you would like. Seriously, you could be listening to another sermon right now (laughs) if you don't like what this one is saying. And you can, find, you can find people who are saying what you would like them to say. Um, and that is a good thing on one hand, because I might be wrong. That other person might be wrong. And it is good that these tools are accessed. But as you have may, may have observed, it has created hyper-tribalism, microtribalism. And a series where we uh, do not have the communal structure to challenge one another without expecting that covenant to break between us instantaneously, and for you to go somewhere else. That's dangerous, as you might have noticed. <laughs> that that is painful. Now, covenant is a principle that Bible that the Bible lives by: bonding with one another, choosing to be together. Um. One of the most important things you can know about covenant as a modern American person is that you don't know very much about covenant. Um, and not, not through any, and Some of us do more than others, honestly, but uh, we, we do not live in a culture that values covenant. We value freedom more than we value covenant. And anyone who has ever been married knows that uh, fr- freedom is not what covenant does. It actually limits. Now, it's a limit that you, that you choose. You have to choose. And you have to choose uh, daily. Sometimes, you know, it's and it's not just choo- the forsaking all others kind of choosing. It is also the oh, my life is bonded to yours. It, it is not me. It is us now. And then you have all these other kids too. There's lots of uses and <laughs> and weirdly, these kids take even more of my freedom. Oh, how selfish, you know. <laughs> um, I need to acknowledge covenant is terrifying. There's a reason we've moved towards this hyper-independent culture. And there was some Babylon in some of those structures that made it just that it should swing this way, right, that it should swing this way. That is is where a different kind of division happens. Um, But also the structure of hyper-independence is not the full picture of the kingdom of God. (laughs) And it limits us, these other pieces of the kingdom of God that belong in a covenant, a covenant that you have with God and a covenant that we have one to another. I was um, at the, uh, we, we took one of our uh, young kids to the to the doctor. Uh, one, one, one of them, you know, there's a lot of them. I have five kids, in case you don't know. Um, and it was early on, and April went to the appointment and said, da, 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 okay, and it's a normal doctor appointment, hey, new baby, you got to do this, got to do this, got to get your vaccinations here, da-da-da. And April said, oh, you know, I'm a little bit nervous about vaccinations, want to kind of talk through that a little bit. And the doctor said, "Oh, okay," and said, "You know, my husband is very like, yeah, just get the vaccinations. It's on the, you know, it's on the, it's on the list. That's good. He, he's Mr. Science guy," and and the the doctor paused and said, "How are you still married?" <laughs> very seriously. And April told me that story afterwards, and I said, oh, we live in a society that doesn't know what covenant is." And before we freak out about April's an anti-vaxxer, and uh, and uh, and uh, and, uh, and Blake is a science man. I don't know what the derogatory term. You can tell me later, but um, uh, uh, the. I, we, 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 have different, we come from very different views around those kinds of subjects. We, we disagree frequently about that. We are responsible for the lives of human beings, uh, who that affects greatly and, and may, may affect them very strongly. But we have a covenant with one another that can handle that. <laughs> that can handle that. that. And covenant is the only thing that can handle it. No other human construct can handle it, because otherwise, agreement can't handle it, because agreement is temporary. If you've spent time around anyone, you eventually find what you don't agree about at at, at some point. Covenant is the only thing that can handle the kind of disagreement, the kind of uh, push and pull that we have, and making covenant more important than those things is the only thing that can protect that covenant. Does that make sense? (laughs) Again, I don't want some of what I'm saying to make you think that there are not important things going on in the world today. There are very important things. The, the Bible was not written to people who were in a democracy where they could vote about what happened in the world. So there's not a lot of direct, here's what you should do about this, that, another thing, unless you, you know, really kind of try to crowbar it that way. Um, and so we have discussions about what it means to be, continue to be distinctive I might have looked back at Daniel and said, hey, why did you accept a Babylonian name? Stick with your, your Israelite name. Why did you let that happen? I might have gone back to Daniel and said, don't wear those clothes. Those are Babylonian clothes. Right, wrong, or otherwise, Daniel took the name. He wore the clothes. He didn't eat the food. And he did not, uh, well, his other people, he went on vacation when there's time to bow down to the idol. But um, <coughs> but he and his group did not bow down to, to the idol. And he remained distinctive and is honored for it throughout through uh in in his presentation in scripture and and so we have discussions to have about what it means to remain distinctive but if those are ideological arguments then we will just continue to reproduce the tribalism that has torn the church apart for generations and is now tearing the world apart (laughs) does that make sense it doesn't mean that those things aren't important. All of, every single thing that you have to argue about is important. And your conviction for it is probably a sign that you have a piece of the kingdom of God to contribute to that area. But you must have the heart of God or you will not be able to say it the way that he says it. And you will, will be rejected, not because you're carrying a message from God, but because you're not carrying it the way that he would. Does that make sense? Um. Covenant is a deep and powerful thing. I, I am scared to say, hey, get in a covenant with this church and get in a covenant with every person in this room because that sounds terrifying, doesn't it? <laughs> and we have to be, humbly admit it's because we don't know how to do that. I don't know how to do that. I'm bad at that. I, I'm, I am a, a product of this hyper-independence culture. I like my me time. I like the, those boundaries and separations. And those are good things, not things that are meant to be thrown away. But in the bonding of covenant is the only thing that can handle the wrestle of how we remain remain distinctive. How we continue to be who God has called us to be. It is the only way to do that. And more than that, your authority to welcome in the people that God is calling into this covenant is not dependent on your, again, knowledge of the truth, although that is of benefit. It is the power of your covenant with God and your covenant with the people around you. I'm currently discipling two people who are atheists, who got saved uh, by completely supernatural means. One of them heard of the audible voice of God while walking out of a building, and said, this audible voice said, go talk to this person, they have something for you. Not knowing what's going on, this person goes up and says, hey, do you have something for me? Yeah, I'm a Christian, uh, I go to church, wanna, wanna go, and... This person got saved and has been hearing the audible voice of God every single week since that that time. Another another person, very similar circumstances, one person, I'm not discipling, but is um, uh, someone I've met who also was an atheist who got saved because they saw something miraculous. They saw Jesus do something that couldn't possibly happen any other way. Unfortunately, and none of these are people in this environment. They're all people who are in other states and things that I Zoom with, but... Um, especially one of those people, has needed the audible voice of God every single week because uh, this person's experience with church and the way that we talk, particularly the way that we talk about politics, has uh, felt so uh, alienating That she has left to, to never come back again multiple times except that an audible voice of God says, hey, go back and try again. On the one hand, I can see things in that person's life that are being healed, that are being restored, ideologies that are shifting, that are changing. On the other hand, this humble part of my heart says, wow, it's taking the audible voice of God to keep someone who's been radically saved in a church. That is feedback that I need to accept and receive and adjust according to his word. Does that make sense? Um, <clears throat> I asked this person why. And they said, you know, I hate to make it about politics. But anytime time they start talking about politics, some of the time they talk and they sound the way that Jesus sounds when he talks to me. But as soon as they start talking about politics, it's like a different voice is coming out of their mouth. And it doesn't have the love or the care or, or the affection or the, or the acceptance that they had moments before. Am I dis- and this person is so humble. Am I discerning this wrong? Am I hearing this wrong? I, I don't know. But it scares me and it makes me want to leave every single time. Again, this is not a person in our environment. This is uh, several states away. We are supposed to release prophetic critique. We are. Do not get me wrong. There are plenty of things worth critiquing. We also have to be able to receive the feedback when that is being done less well than God does. It, would do it. And this kind of fruit to me says, I need to adjust. I need to adjust. Now, it doesn't mean I just go over here and create as accepting a place as possible necessarily. No. My goal is to do what God said Pray for the good of my city. Do good things. Do good works. Do stuff that is so good that it silences foolish talk. Okay, God, what is that? I don't know what that is. Show me. Tell me what that is. Okay, some part of me knows what that is, but part of me doesn't know what that is. I need to wrestle with that, you know? Guys, the the harvest is white. It It is blossoming. It is ready right now. My big question is, are we ready to disciple the kind of people that God is going to bring into our lives? Are we ready to treat them the way that Jesus would? Not just accommodating, not just adapting, not revolting and beating the world out of them, but remaining distinctive, operating in the kind of love that Jesus challenged challenged us to live by. Loving our enemies, loving our, loving our friends, operating in that kind of goodness. Are we able to do that yet? Because the world is coming and we're either going to be ready or we're not going to be ready. Does that make sense? All right, if you guys would stand up real quick. I just want to pray for you to wrap up. Just want to again remind you of one thing of remember that your authority comes from your covenant with jesus that is your power not because you have a better ideology even though you may have a better ideology not because you have a good arguments not because the system that you have gotten even downloaded from god is better than the one that's in front of you no your authority comes from that covenant that relationship that he made with you and you received does that make sense that is where your power is, that is where your authority is, and that's what you you are able to invite people into. I would challenge you today to wrestle with God about what it looks like to be a covenant person, someone who can speak the truth, who can be real, who can discover what it means to bond with people that are around you, to recognize our inability to do that, the walls that we've put up, the systems that we have put in place of bonding. It's, it's something that the enemy has come against so hard in the, our generation. In this swing from community living to individualism, we have watched family erode. Yeah? I hear this all the time. It's not just the political systems that would push people back into families. It is learning about the kingdom principle of covenant. Yeah? If I have a covenant with someone and can look them in the eye and they know that I love them and choose them, I can say anything to them. I can make a huge mistake and say something totally wrong. But, and they will have the strength. They will have that bond to be able to say back to me, hey, that didn't feel great. <laughs> and I will have the strength to say something that's really challenging to their belief system. And they will say, oh, man, that is challenging. But I see the love in your eyes. I see the care in your eyes. I see that you have chosen me just as Jesus chose us while we were yet sinners. <laughs> that is where your power comes from. It is not in a superior ideology. People can argue with ideology all day. We might, we might have the better ideology, but that's not the point. The point is it is in that covenant. It is in that covenant. That is why God did not just send the Bible He sent his son. That is why it was inadequate when God just sent stone tablets. That is why he had to send his son, because it had to be a true living covenant. All right, Lord, we want to be covenant people. We we acknowledge that we do not know how. We acknowledge that our experience, our pain, our family may have helped with that or may have hurt that greatly. We recognize that our experience with church in the past might have helped that understanding of covenant or may have hurt it very greatly. And Lord, but Lord, we want to in this day and age be people who live the way you asked us to live, to build a house, to have a family, to eat eat our own food, to remain distinctive but to also pray for the good of our city, to bless our city, to pray for the prosperity of our city, even if it is a wicked city, even if it is as wicked as Babylon was at the height of its wickedness, that we are praying for the good of that city because we are kingdom people, Lord. We recognize too, though, that despite that attitude of goodness, that we are called to prophetic critique, to say challenging things, to say the truth, to stand up and say the truth, even if it costs us something. But we recognize that we need to do that as representatives of your character, not just our ideas. So we, again, humble ourselves and say, Father, show us how to be more like you. Show us how not to, how not to be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. I'm just going to read this prayer over you to to wrap up. This is the prayer that Jesus did for his disciples. I encourage you to read the first part that was directly to his disciples. The second part is to you, the people who would come after, the people who would believe. This is in John chapter 17, if you follow later. My prayer is not for them alone, his disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one, Father, just as you and me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that w- the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that, may be, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you loved me. We ask that that be made true of us today, Lord, that we would be unified, not around ideology, but but unified that we are in a room with people who have made a covenant with you, and that in that covenant, there would be room for disagreement, for differences of perspective, for differences of value, to, to ask, should we eat food that's been sacrificed to idols or should we not, as the early church did, but we would do it within a covenant, not without one. You would teach us, Lord, how to adhere to what you have laid in our hearts and teach and, re- and heal those places where our capacity to bond with one another has been wounded. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thanks so much, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.